Welcome to Lessons in Leadership, Steve Adubato, my colleague Mary Gamba. We are taping on April the 12th, it'll be seen later. Mary, why is April 12th, given the fact that we have Lori Roth, who is our good friend, a longtime colleague, the global managing partner at Prager Metis, one of the top accounting firms in the country, why is April 12th relevant? Uh, because we're right before tax day. Lori, by the way, welcome, Lori. Yes. <laughs> and thank you for joining us, even though we know how busy you are. So thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. It's good to see you guys. Lori, I know that's an unorthodox introduction, but do this for us. Paint a picture of what the heck it's like leading up to tax day to April 15th. I know there are other big days, but also leading an effort on behalf of the firm leading up to the 15th of April. Right. Well, I guess it's just an added uh, pressure because of all of the involvement that people have in meeting their clients' expectations and meeting the deadlines and helping everybody through what for them is also a stressful time. So it's uh, it's a little delicate this time of year. People are at the, the end of their ropes and, and their tolerance is a little bit lower than normal because they've been going at, at full tilt for quite a while. So it's good to have empathy and to understand what everyone's going through and to understand what the clients are going through as well because it's a stressful time for them as well. You know, it's interesting. We, we uh, A few months back, we did a seminar down in Atlantic City with the emerging leaders at Prager Metis, and I was honored to to go down there and, and, and facilitate that conversation. And while, while much of our conversation was about business development, building relationships, how to manage staff, all those kinds of things, the question of well-being and wellness and taking care of oneself is part of the leadership equation, especially in stressful times leading up to April 15th, and then there's an October deadline, there's other deadlines. Where is the place for well-being, wellness in stressful times? It's, I think, of utmost importance. We have to care about our people. We have to help them to be at their very best. And wellness is a part of that. I think that having a focus on what's best for team members and um, and for the people that they're surrounded by as well, families, things like that, it's become a, a normal course of events now for people to be on what we call now parental leave. For example, if they have a, a newborn. It doesn't matter if it's the mother having having the child or if it's the father, there's there's parental leave now and, and that's an important thing and it's an important part for all of our team members to be able to participate in. And it's not just us, that's that's everywhere. But I think that you know being attuned to what's best for our people is ultimately what's best for our firm and best for our clients. Yep. Mary, jump in. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to talk a little bit about difficult conversations. We've talked a lot about that offline, both internally, difficult conversations we have to have when coaching and mentoring others. But we just said that we're right before tax day and those difficult conversations that you have to say to uh, the leader of an organization to say, hey, you owe this amount of money. Talk about difficult conversations and the connection to leadership. Why is it so important that leaders don't duck away from those challenging conversations? Yeah, that's very, very important. You're right, right on point. And it's important for us to be able to coach and mentor our team members to be able to have those difficult conversations internally, externally with clients. Um, you know, sometimes it's even just, believe it or not, you, you could be doing work and you find out a mistake that happened in a prior year. And you're like, oh my God, what do we do about this? And it does happen, you know, because you're reviewing and you're comparing and things like that happen. And sometimes it might be that the client forgot to give us something or or somebody missed something. And, and how do you approach that even during a stressful time? 
I think that it's important to deal with these things head on and logically. And I always think that if you're solution driven and you have the answer to what the problem is, it helps you to get through those conversations. I know we've talked about this before, but if you can say, here's what the situation is and here's how we can deal with it. I think that that makes it so much easier. And that's what we really try and, you know, coach our team members to approach things that way, to be solution oriented. Stay on this theme, Laurie, because one of the things you know that we're obsessed with, and I know you are as well, is you talk about mistakes, right? I talk about owning our mistakes versus pointing the finger, making excuses. I, I get it. And it's, sometimes it's more complex than that. And I'm sure there are people around me who think I take this extreme ownership in the name of a very prominent book that has influenced my way of looking at things. And I'm written by two Navy SEALs and the work we do is not as important as what they did in writing this book. Question, Lori. Mistakes happen in the world of accounting. Tax, who did this? The age, the the uh, the uh, client didn't provide this. Okay, do you take the view that for the best leaders, they have to be extreme owners of their universe, regardless of who actually did what? Absolutely, I think you have to own whatever occurred, and you have to own your role in whatever occurred. I, I know you and I have had this conversation many times, and I do really firmly believe that a big part of coming out of that is owning your responsibility in it and being participant in the solution. And I think that that really helps you to get through the, these things more than anything else. If you can come with a solution and a way to solve whatever the problem is, whether it was from a mistake, whether it was your mistake, whether it was a client's mistake, whether it was another team members, I know we've mm -hmm. talked about that, taking responsibility oh. overall. Um, but I, I think coming with a solution and a way to solve the problem, whatever's occurred from whatever mistake, really just helps you so much. Before Mary jumps back in, why do you think so many people in, quote, leadership positions, I'm not calling them leaders, I'm saying they're in leadership positions as a distinction. Why do you think so many people who are in leadership positions in every walk of life, yours, ours, sports, doesn't matter what it is, have such a difficult, including the White House, <laughs> no matter who's in it, yeah. have such a difficult time owning their actions? I think that people believe that they need to make themselves look better than other people. And by not owning it and blaming other people, they think that it makes themselves look better, but it's exactly the opposite. I think I think that's what it's all about because it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make sense. But I think that's that's where it comes from. If somebody else is wrong and somebody else has made a mistake, then I guess I'm better than that person. So, but it, it, yeah. it's, it's, it, it doesn't make sense. Well said, Mary. Yeah. Uh, Lori, Steve and I have talked a lot about succession planning, retirement, refirement, as Steve likes to say, uh, and really just planning for the future. Can you talk a little bit about the approach at Prager Metis in terms of that succession planning? Steve had mentioned the Emerging Leaders Conference that we worked with you on and really helping leaders to grow within the organization. Why is it important for leaders of an organization to focus on succession planning? Yeah, I think it's of utmost importance for a lot of reasons. I think it's important for that person. I think it's important for the emerging leaders and for the success, the succession people, the people who are going to take those roles. I think it's important. People don't think so, but it's important for the clients also to know that there's other people that they can rely on and that will be able to, to take those roles. And I really do think I, I learned very, very early on in, in my career to begin with the end in mind. In other what words, 
always see where you're going or where you're ultimately going to get to and to always be planning for for what where that is and so i think that succession is a really important part of that to understand how you're going to exit even when you begin in other words what you're going to accomplish what you want to do each goal but ultimately to be to be able to exit are you so Lori, stay on this for just a minute so that succession leaders emerging and growing and developing people devil's advocate some some people will argue come on it's an organic thing it's actually not, it's not. it must be intentional yeah i think it has to be intentional and i think it is in everyone's best interest everyone doesn't always feel like it is we have uh people who come in or people who are retiring or they come in because they're going to retire and they think nobody can replace them and that their clients only want to deal with them or you know that's going to be the hardest part. And nine times out of 10, what ends up happening is the client is relieved that they're, they're given who the next person is because they don't realize that their client realizes maybe that they're aging and they're not going to be here forever. And the client feels more comfortable once they know that there's a, a bright, I don't, I don't, I guess you're not supposed to use young and old, but a newer professional who will be uh, stepping into the role and be able to work with them for, for a long run. Lori, before I let you uh, go, you're not implying in any way that it's time for me to remove myself from this chair <laughs> and turn it over to people who may chronologically be younger. Is that what you're not implying? That, right? I'm not implying it. I'm not saying it. And I don't think it. <laughs> Sorry for making that about me. No, and Lori makes such a good point because so many of us convince ourselves, you know, if I don't do it, I'm that's just poor leadership. It's, 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 narcissistic, egocentric, insecurity, and trust me, a lot of us struggle with it, but the organization is way bigger than any one of us. I'm off my soapbox. That's Lori Roth, Global Managing Partner with our great partners at Prager Metis. They're a wonderful sponsor and partner of Lessons in Leadership, and also we're honored to be coaching and doing leadership development there. Thank you, Lori, to you and, and Glenn and the team. We appreciate everything. Thank you. You got it. Stay with us. Mary and I will be back after this, unless she takes me out of this job. <laughs> this edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bicino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Fedway Associates, Inc., Veolia, Resourcing the World, Choose New Jersey, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Media a print and digital business news network. Construction companies work at the heart of our communities. So do the operating engineers of Local 825, who build our roads and bridges and ensure the safe transmission of energy that keeps us on the move. Local 825 works with contractors as partners in quality, safety, and training. Our achievements stand as monuments to collaboration that will last for generations. This message has been brought to you by the members of Operating Engineers Local 825. Better building begins here.
We're pleased to be joined by Bob Garrett, CEO of Hackensack Meridian Health. Bob, how you doing? I am doing well, Steve. How about yourself? We are great. We've had you on many times talking about a whole range of healthcare issues, leadership in the world of healthcare. Um, also want to acknowledge that um, we do, Mary and I, our, our company, Stand and Deliver, leads the and facilitates the HMH, a Physician Leadership Academy, where we've learned an awful lot while we teach. We've learned an awful lot about leadership from those physicians as well. Bob, let me ask you this. Big picture, how would you, quote, describe the leadership challenges you and other healthcare leaders are facing, top two or, th two or three, three years plus into COVID, the most pressing challenges are? Yeah, I think number one, what I would have to say is uh, is staffing. You know, COVID really played havoc on uh, on on staffing, and you know, I'd say related to staffing is the um, you know the financial um, aspects of of coming out of COVID. I think it's really been a challenge for healthcare organizations, mainly because of staffing and also because of inflation and you know, supply costs really, um, you know, accelerating so much over these past few years. But in terms of staffing, Steve, you know, just a couple stats that are really kind of staggering if you think about it. Um, one out of five healthcare workers have left their profession uh, since the start of the pandemic. And even more disturbing to me, I mean, that's, that's bad enough, but even more disturbing is a recent um, survey of uh, nurses nationally yeah. are showing that one out of three are seriously considering leaving the nursing profession over the next 18 months. So you can see where that would leave a lot of gaps in, uh, in staffing. And certainly the demand for um, hospital care or for um, healthcare in general has not decreased. So it's a challenge certainly for healthcare organizations like Hackensack Meridian and, and uh, my colleagues all across the country are really uh, dealing with the same types of issues. Before Mary jumps in, I'm curious about this, Bob, because I happen to know a lot of your clinicians and have worked with them at a variety of, capacity, variety of capacities. When the nursing shortage becomes more pressing, what impact does that have on physicians and what they do and other clinicians on the front lines? Because it's not just nurses are here, physicians are here, respiratory therapists. It's, it's a team sport. Uh, Steve, there's no question about it. So, oh, John, what, Bob's a huge giant fan. We will not talk about that. Yeah, we're off season, so go ahead. We are, but I'm uh, I'm optimistic as uh, as I always are as I always is uh, this time of year, Steve, for sure. Uh, it's uh, we'll see, we'll see, we'll talk about that we'll some see. other time. But but in any case, um, you know, it is a team sport. You know, between physicians, nurses, and and other uh, professionals and support uh, personnel. So if there's a severe shortage in in uh, in one, it really impacts the uh, job functions of of others. So let me let me talk a little bit about what we've done for for nursing in particular since the beginning of the pandemic, we've invested over um, 600 million dollars in salaries and benefits for uh, for our team members. And uh, as a result of that, we've been able to hire over 2000 nurses uh, in the past year alone. So that's a, that's encouraging. But you know, many of those nurses are uh, coming out of school and uh, they need to be trained. They need to be oriented. Um, the good news is we have uh, we have three nursing schools within Hackensack Meridian Health, which serve as a pipeline for uh, for uh, jobs throughout our health system. And, you know, what's what's uh, even, um, I think, more impressive in some ways is we have over 500 affiliations with uh, with other schools, not just for nursing, but for um, for other um, healthcare care uh, professionals as well. So we're, there's a good pipeline 
But in spite of that, it's still, you know, it's still been tough because there's been a lot of issues that, um, that have led to nurses and other healthcare professionals leaving the, uh, the field. And COVID has clearly had an impact uh, in that area and others. Mary, go ahead. Yeah, definitely, Bob. You talk about the strain. Oh, I'm sorry, Steve. Bob, are you going to make another point on that? Because the COVID piece is huge. COVID piece is huge, and you know it's 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 resulted in a lot of burnout, uh, you know, throughout the um, organization. And you know, we we've we've tried to you know counter that. But you know, one of, one of the things I just you know I always like some breaking news, Steve. And uh, as of just today, uh, we after three long years, because the rate of transmission of COVID is either moderate or low throughout New Jersey we're able to make masking optional now within the hospitals. So, you know, you think about burnout and, you know, the team members have had to deal with so much and they've, you know, they've been courageous. They've certainly been responsive uh, and they've been, you know, true, true heroes. But, mm. you know, wearing those masks, you know, day after day, 10, 12, 14 hours a day is, has also put a burden on them. And, and also for, you know, for our patients and for, uh, for our visitors sure. that come uh, to see patients. So you know, we're really happy that as of today, we're, we're able to um, no longer require universal masking. There'll still be masking in certain high risk areas. And, you know, certainly there's, uh, there's a potential that, that we may have to remask uh, at some point if, uh, if COVID um, levels start to uh, rise again. But, you know, that's certainly been received very, very well since we shared the news with our team members earlier uh, today. By the way, the April 12th date that we're taping will go up there and only puts Bob's, it puts Bob's comments in context. We are where we are now. No one's predicting the future. That's um, right. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah, definitely, Bob. You were talking about the challenges that the healthcare professionals, nurses, and of course the leadership and the healthcare industry are facing. Talk a little bit though about the gap, the 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 gap when it comes to access to care. How is that an equity issue? We've been hearing a lot about that, but especially with COVID, can you talk a little bit about um, the access to care as a health equity issue? It, it is a um, a huge health equity issue because the access to care is uh, is not um, equally spread, if you will, um, across the communities that we serve, or really, um, you know, any any communities in New Jersey and uh, and beyond. So access to care has uh, been a challenge, particularly for underserved communities, certain um, zip codes. One thing that we've been able to do, Mary, that I think helps in terms of, um, uh, I think this whole health equity issue is we now screen everybody that comes in contact with an HMH healthcare um, uh, site. So we've been able to screen over 700,000 patients over the last um, 16 months or so since the program began. But even more important than just the screening, once you screen uh, folks and you, you identify gaps or you identify lack of access to healthcare, then you need to make referrals uh, and in terms of what they need. And we've made over 2 million referrals either to Hackensack Meridian Health Services or to other social agencies to community resources, depending on what the needs are, where, where they're lacking access to uh, care, where they're not necessarily receiving um, the right care. And some of the challenges out there could be unstable housing. It could be that they don't have transportation to get to their doctor's office or, or back. It could be that they live in a, uh, a food desert where they're not getting um, nutritious uh, food. So we make those types of referrals. Um, and it's been a really successful program. We work with a, um, a, a digital platform called Unite Us, 
And uh, it, is, it is available nationally, but I believe Hackensack Meridian has really taken the lead here. And again, I think we're really helping so many individuals. Now, that's not going to be the only answer to close that health equity gap, but I think it's certainly a great start. You know, uh, Bob mentioned these uh, different areas uh, having to do with housing, access to food, uh, transportation. Those are otherwise known, as Bob well knows, and Mary and I have talked about this many times. Uh, and also check out our other healthcare related interviews, social determinants of health, behavioral health. To what degree has COVID, in your view, added to the whole range of issues related to behavioral and mental health challenges? A and B, how the heck are we equipped to deal with it in the healthcare system? So tremendous, uh, tremendous impact COVID has had on uh, behavioral health, on um, uh, mental health uh, issues. I mean, we've seen, you know, staggering um, increases in uh, people who have challenges in behavioral health and in mental health illnesses. Um, just in, um, in pediatrics alone, uh, we saw a 90% increase in, uh, in visits for, for children uh, who require uh, behavioral health interventions. So what we've been trying to do is uh, really make sure that we're front and center, providing better access to care, coordinating care um, in, a, in a, a different way. Certainly, I think Hackensack Meridian had a head start because before the pandemic uh, even, um, even started, we had the a merger with Carrier Clinic, They're the largest uh, healthcare, uh, behavioral healthcare provider in the state of New Jersey. So that, that did help us and, and through the partnership with Carrier Clinic, we've been able to um, increase access to care. So we opened up a, um, a behavioral health urgent care center in Neptune, New Jersey, first of its kind in New Jersey, which provided some additional access. In addition to uh, that, we're adding um, beds at the Carrier Clinic, uh, pediatric and adolescent beds, because of the increase of a need, particularly for, for children. And we're also um, establishing new centers of excellence in behavioral health. A good example of that, Steve, is that Raritan Bay Medical Center, where we're um, going to be adding 81 behavioral health beds this summer uh, that will be opening up at, um, at uh, Raritan Bay. So that will be, you know, certainly mm. a, a tremendous center of, uh, of excellence. The other piece is a shortage of psychiatrists. And, uh, you know, so that's been, that's been a real issue, uh, which has really exacerbated this problem. So we've invested a lot in telehealth. So, uh, so uh, you know, both uh, mid-level providers, meaning um, uh, physician assistants, um, as well as psychiatrists can access uh, patients a little bit um, easier. We also have increased our residency programs in uh, behavioral health. And you know, of course, we have the new medical school. We have the Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine. And I'm happy to say that mm -hmm. uh, many of our medical students are deciding to focus on psychiatry and do their residencies postgraduate in, uh, in psychiatry. So all of those, all of those, I think will, will be helpful, but there's no question, you know, you're, you're a thousand percent correct. The, uh, the COVID pandemic has certainly uh, resulted in um, significant behavioral healthcare issues, not just here in New Jersey, but um, really everywhere yes. around the country. And, and actually I was in uh, at the world economic forum in uh, Davos, Switzerland earlier this year, and it's a global issue. It sure is. Uh, and Bob Garrett, CEO of Hackensack Meridian Health, uh, I want to thank you, Bob, for joining us. Also, let me disclose that HMH Hackensack Meridian Health is an underwriter of our healthcare programming. Bob, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Steve. You guys stay with us. We'll be right back.
This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Media, a print and digital business news network. All right, Lessons in Leadership, uh, one of the favorite, one of the... Why did I say favorite? One of the things we enjoy the most, and hopefully you enjoy, is when we have leadership quotes. It's one thing to talk about our books, not our books, but our lessons in leadership on our website, which will come up right now, our favorite leadership books. But we have favorite leadership quotes, Mary Gamba. That's a very popular part of the series. What you, Mary comes up with all these quotes, and most of them I ignore, and I say, well, I didn't say that. It can't be important. I'm joking. <laughs> Mary, what do you got? All right, I'm going to go with a quick and easy one. It's Rosa Parks, and it's knowing what must be done does away with fear. Let me repeat that. Knowing what must be done does away with fear. Now, first of all, who am I to ever disagree with the iconic, important um, Rosa Parks, who had more courage than, I mean, than anyone I can imagine what she did and stood up um, and made such a difference in the civil rights movement. She wasn't getting up off that. She wasn't going to give up her seat on that bus. But here's the thing. I'm arguing, Mary, that slightly differently, that even if you know what needs to be done, you've got to let somebody go on your team. You've got to make a tough fiscal decision. You and I go all the way back to March of 2020. You and I had to make a very tough decision about some fiscal situations that, fiscal situation that caused us to make some tough decisions. It didn't do away with the fear because we knew we had to do it. You just had to do it. Even if yeah. you're I would argue that you're afraid and you do it anyway. You're fearful and you do it anyway. No? I, I feel less fearful. I've had to have many difficult conversations with you over the years. And I always premise with, don't be mad or don't, you know, just hear me out. And once you get it out there for me, I'm no longer afraid. Instead, I'm confident. And as long as you were truly being pure to what you know needs to be done in that situation, we knew we had fiscal challenges and we had to do it. So for me, it actually does get rid of that fear. The second it is done and you know you've made that decision, there's nothing to worry about, in my opinion. I hate the waiting. I, I worry more when I'm waiting than when I'm just confronting. And that to me is what Rosa Parks meant by that. That's when the fear goes away. Once you've made that decision, you got to let it go. You know what's so interesting about this? It's not just about leadership. It's about personal things in our lives as well. You ever notice that when you have to make a decision and you're, or then you make the decision, but you're anticipating, say, a surgery that's complicated mm -hmm. or a procedure, and when it comes to medical issues, but also stuff in our homes and our families, our lives. You, the end. It's and from a communication point of view, I've studied anxiety, as you well know. It's called anticipatory anxiety. So anticipatory fear, the fear of. Our, we took. Our, we were away on a trip, and our daughter. I said this before we got a minute left. She was afraid to go parasailing. But her friend who was on a trip with us wanted to go. And I wasn't going to force our daughter, but I said, Olivia, if you don't do this, I think you're going to regret it mm -hmm. because it'll be, oh, dad, I don't I said, okay, Olivia, you don't have to go. She goes, well, maybe I'll try. Afterwards, it was like, that was the greatest dad, pictures taken. So is it afterwards that you say, what the heck was I afraid of? Yeah, usually it's afterwards. For me, it's definitely before and during. Once I made... If I were Olivia, once I, I jumped out of an airplane once and I was fearful until I made you the decision. Parachute, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or else I wouldn't be here. <laughs> anyway, right. 
But once I made that decision, to me, at the decision phase, that's when that fear is gone, personally. But I just think it's an interesting quote. It is. Uh, that's what we got from Rosa Parks. By the way, Mary and I, in future segments, I got another great one. You ready for this? Not going to give you have to do quote. it, but then Elvin's going to tell us why we have to say goodbye. So he already said goodbye. Some... So save it for the next one. Leave people with something more. You have to leave people on the edge of their seats. So I guess I've been told. You've been told. See You'll you say it week. next time. Mary is the boss. <laughs> this edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Fedway Associates, Inc., Veolia, resourcing the world, Choose New Jersey, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine, and Meadowlands Media, a print and digital business news network. Construction companies work at the heart of our communities. So do the operating engineers of Local 825, who build our roads and bridges and ensure the safe transmission of energy that keeps us on the move. Local 825 works with contractors as partners in quality, safety, and training. Our achievements stand as monuments to collaboration that will last for generations. This message has been brought to you by the members of Operating Engineers Local 825. Better building begins here.